what made David different in his heart that God saw. Um, the fact that he wasn't invited to the party when his father was told to gather his sons and uh, that one of them would be anointed king, the family didn't see enough potential in him to even invite him to the party is just amazing to me. And, to, and yet to be told God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but he looks on the heart. So what was it about him? And we looked at his courage, um, the fact that he, he had an unusual amount of courage uh, as a person, and in some ways that, that applies itself as faith in the Lord and a trust in him. But uh, this week, I want to look at his generosity in regard to the Lord, even when things hadn't gone well. Um, he, he experienced his failure, and he turns that into a worship time. But he also um, is told no by the Lord in something that he wants to do, and he turns that into a time of generosity to the, to the Lord as well. And I find that a powerful indication of his life. So uh, this story is covered both in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And if you read both of them, you'll see some differences here and there, but the, the storyline is basically the same, and the critical components are the same. But uh, starting out, it says that in Samuel, it says the anger of the Lord was incited against Israel, and so he, he caused David to do something he shouldn't do. Um, Chronicles takes it a little differently. He says, Satan, Satan stood and, and uh, he, he brought a temptation or a test, uh, incited David against Israel. And, and so in some ways, this is a lot like the story of Job, where God and this guy is doing so well, you, you never let me at him. And, and, and you know the story of, of Job's turmoil. But in this particular story, uh, David makes a blunder. He, he, he chooses wrong, and um, it costs everyone. And I think that's, it's, it's a side note, but it's important to realize that anytime a person in any form of leadership fails, it's going to affect everyone under them. And, and so, you know, part of the reason we pray for leaders is we, we don't want to suffer the pains of, of their failures. But in this case, uh, David is incited, it says, to, to number the, the people of Israel. And the impression that you get is that he's relying on their physical strength for them to have victory. And in some ways, he's taken away what the Lord has done for him. Um, and, and so he tells Joab, go through the land, count all the soldiers, all, everyone that's capable of war. And it's like he's, he's figuring out that you know, if I have this many people, I can take on this. But that's all unwritten. Whatever is, whatever is known about this is that it wasn't a good decision. In fact, he's warned by Joab, uh, who as a general was a, a bloody rascal. I mean, he, 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 I don't mean that in the English sense. I mean that in the, in the sense that he, he had caused a lot of bloodshed. And, uh, and yet he knows this is a bad decision, and yet 
David's will prevails. Joab goes through the land. It takes nearly 10 months to count the guys. And the two numbers in the different passages aren't quite the same. I don't know what to do with that. They're, they're close, but they're, you know, within a few hundred thousand. Um, it's not quite the same. But anyway, um, they, they count it, and then there's trouble. Uh, he says, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I've done very foolishly. So his heart responds and says, this, this wasn't right, and he, and he acknowledges it before the Lord. Well, the seer Gad, or the prophet, comes to him and says, the Lord says you have three choices. And he gives him the option of three years of famine, three months of being chased by his enemies, or three days of pestilence. And he's evaluating, and he makes this comment. He says, I'm in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his, there's, his mercy is very great. Don't let me fall into the hands of man. So he's saying, if I'm going to have to rely on the graciousness of one or the other, I'm going to trust God. And so this is, this is my decision. I want to, to do whatever he feels fit in this. Well, there is a pestilence that strikes the land, and it says 70,000 people die. So, I mean, this is horrendous. And as it's going on, it says the angel of the Lord turns toward Jerusalem and is going to strike down the people of Jerusalem. And they actually see the angel. Um, there's a man named Ornan in, in the one account, Arana in the other. The, he has two different names that are used, apparently. But he's a, he has this threshing floor, and he and his four sons, and this, they go hide. They're scared to death. And so <laughs> the bells were ringing, and it was just... <laughs> anyway... I'll be glad when that's over. Um, so they, David sees this, and he says, I need to make a sacrifice, and I need to buy this place. And he offers uh, to Ornan, and he says, I'll, I'll pay you whatever you want. And, and the guy, and David does something that I find really essential in this. He... he he not only has recognized and says, you know, this is my sin. This isn't everybody else's sin. God, you know, please put this on me, not on someone else. He, he's saddened by what he sees around him and the cost of what he's done. But he makes this statement in regard to the threshing floor. He says, I will buy them for full price. I will not take from the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He's basically saying, I am not giving leftovers to God. I'm not taking what's cheap and handing it off to him. In some ways, it, this goes back to the, almost the story of like Cain and Abel, where you know, one sacrifice is accepted, where the other brought the very best of what he had. And there's this premise even throughout the Exodus. Remember when the rules are given regarding sacrifice, they're to bring the very best of what they had? They weren't to take animals that had any kind of deformity. They were to bring one that was only a special age. They, they, they wanted to make sure it was the very best of what they were offering to the Lord. And so in this crisis, 
When David is looking at things and saying, I've sinned, and he acknowledges his sin, his response to God is to give him his very best. It's not to take any kind of shortcuts. It's to just say, this is what needs to happen. And so he pays, uh, pays the 600 shekels of gold and buys the floor, offers burnt offerings unto the Lord. And then it says, the fire of the Lord came down from heaven and lit everything on fire. So <laughs> pretty amazing. But David says, okay, this appears to have won the Lord's favor, or just, you know, this, this seems to be a good thing. And, and so from that point on, he offers sacrifices there. But in the very next chapter, the declaration, this is the right place for the temple of God. And so he sets it in his heart to, to build a temple, but shortly after he starts this, he is told by the prophet again, it's not up to you to do this. This isn't your job. And so what's he do? He goes, okay, I'll just get everything ready. Which again is amazing. You know, rather than going away and moping and it's like, God didn't let me do this. You know, or, you know, just saying, well, okay, he doesn't want me to do it. I'll just do what I want. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't walk down that path. Instead, it says, um, he gets out, you know, he, he prepares the stone cutters and starts cutting stone. He gets uh, iron for nails. He, uh, it says he gathered bronze in quantities beyond weighing, cedar timbers without number. So he's just pulling in, pulling in, pulling in, getting it all ready. He says, he makes this comment, he says, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. But this house needs to be exceedingly magnificent, a fame and glory throughout all the lands. So he says, this can't be an ordinary place. And, you know, if, if Solomon doesn't have the skills set yet, and doesn't have, he says, so he charges Solomon, you know, to build the house, and he, he does several things. He says, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house. But God said, you've shed much blood and have waged great wars because you've shed much blood before me on the earth. And he's just saying, God's telling me, he says, I really don't want my house associated with a warrior in this cause. In fact, he, he says of, of Solomon, he says, I'm going to give him rest and there's going to be peace in the land. In other words, he says, I want my house associated with peace. That's an incredible thing to grab onto. You know, that, that, you know, ultimately, he's more about peace than he is about war. And so he, he walks through this with David and just says, you're not the one. And he says, now I'll establish Solomon's throne forever. So he gives him a promise. But then uh, David you know, in talking with Solomon says, the Lord be with you so that you can succeed. He goes on to say, may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding. Obey the law. He says, I I'm telling you what you need to do for things to work. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. He says, you, you're with great pains I've provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold. Now, 100,000 ounces would be a lot, right? 
A talent was anywhere from 75 to 110 pounds. It was roughly the weight of a man in that day. Yeah, shorter and skinnier. <laughs> but that said, that's still a lot. You know, 100,000 talents, that is an immense amount of gold. And then he goes on to say, a million talents of silver... Remember when he was talking about the bronze, it was too much to weigh? <laughs> but he's saying, this much silver? Bronze and iron beyond weighing, timber and stone too. Then he tells the tradesmen, get ready to go. You know, he, he prepares them and just says, arise and work, the Lord be with you. And he rallies the leaders and say, this guy's going to need help. So you make sure you see this project through. He does everything in his power to set Solomon up with this thing. And he says to him at the end, he says, set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Rise and build the sanctuary of the Lord, that the ark and the holy vessels will be brought into the house built for the Lord. So I'm looking at this story and I'm going, okay, this guy's heart, whether things weren't going well. And even when, things, when he had failed, he, he takes the blame for what he had done but he goes back and, and worships God with all his heart. And, and this generosity that comes out is saying, no, I'm not taking anything for free. I'm going to give my best. It's powerful. And then, you know, the, the, the late in life thing of wanting to build this temple and saying, you know, I've, I've dedicated my whole life to worship of the Lord. This is what I want to do. It's a noble cause. And then to hear from the Lord saying, nah, you're not the one. And to not take that as a slight or a, um, you know, a, a, in, in an aggravated way and, and depression or whatever, but to just say, well, okay, I'll do everything I can to get ready for it. That's an amazing person. To not back off, to not, you know, be overwhelmed or, or you know, just say, well, God said, no, I might as well just quit trying. It's not at all. But he just dedicated himself to doing everything in his power to get it ready. And, you know, as we read the amounts, you're just going, that's amazing. Well, it was all out, all forgotten. And that heart shines to us. We pray that our hearts would be in tune with you as well. That we wouldn't be caught up with just the outward, but rather you would you would see our hearts and transform us in a way that's pleasing unto you. Help us to take these examples and use them for your glory. Amen. I think each of us has had failures and sin that we've had to look at and acknowledge before the Lord and just say, I did wrong here. And we've also had disappointments where things haven't worked out quite like we planned or thought they should. And yet, if we're going to have a heart like David's, we still need to turn, and it's all out, all the way, oh more for him. And that uh, includes every facet of life, just saying, God, this is, you're worthy of this. So this is the bent of my life. God, help us to live that way. Take the example, use it for life. And pray for God's blessing upon you. Then what remains is open-ended worship. And um, 
settle things in the Lord. May a blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to live all out for you and your faithfulness and mercy that it pervades. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you.